This episode is brought to you by Morty, Rizova, Recon, and Patreon supporters like you. Supporting our sponsors supports our work. This year, we're hosting Recon, the Reality Escape Convention, virtually, so that we can bring our entire global community together. Our team has decided to alternate one year in person, one year virtual, and this year we are doing it online. We also have wonderful speakers, some of whom have been guests on Repod, like Anne and Chris Lukeman from CU Adventures, Guy Bosco from Israel, who has designed over 200 escape rooms, and Dino Paolo from last season, who is going to be sharing a lot of insights about some of the problems that his business ran into. We have some phenomenal talks in the works. Recon has a variety of ticket types to meet your needs, and the basic ticket is free. No tricks. We want our global community at Recon, and we hope to see each and every one of you there August 19th and 20th, 2023. You can learn more at realityescapecon.com. Details in the show notes. Tickets are on sale now. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's guest is from South Africa. We're joined by LaRue Bota, executive producer and game designer behind Survivor South Africa. Welcome, LaRue. Thank you, David. Thanks, PG. Very nice to be with you guys today. I'm really looking forward to the chat and yeah, very excited to get into the, how did you put it, PG, the most immersive game on the planet, Survivor. (laughs) I don't know that it can possibly get more immersive than starving on an island for 30 plus days. (laughs) They really force you to to confront the reality (laughs) of being immersed in it. We had Dino Paolo on the podcast last season, and he raved about you for like 10 minutes and then insisted that we would be completely remiss as a podcast if we did not have you on as a guest. So I'm super glad to have you here. I love Dino to bits. Him and his now wife, Kirsten, has moved to Cape Town, and they have a little French bulldog, as do we. So every Wednesday... Dino's little friendship, Stella, and our little friendship, Obi-Wan, uh, has a play date at our offices <laughs> in Cape Town. <laughs> and then Dino and I just chat for like an hour and a half. So I see him every week. Love him to bits. <laughs> He's truly one of the most likable human beings that I have ever met. For those less familiar with Survivor, there are two things that you should know going into this conversation. The first Survivor as a game has grown well beyond its initial concept into a wildly complex and interesting game that is really compelling to watch and I imagine play. The second thing that you should know going in is when we talk about Survivor South Africa, we aren't talking about a season of Survivor set in South Africa like Survivor Philippines from way back. LaRue is the executive producer of a South African version of the show featuring South African players. So now that everyone is up to speed, let's dive in. 
before you became the executive producer of Survivor SA, you were an aspiring player. What was the backstory here? Survivor South Africa started in 2006. The first season was produced by Endemol South Africa for Mnet 101. And I entered for that season, but it was a paper entry. There were no three-minute videos that you had to send in or anything. So you're excited about the show because you've been watching since 2001 when it first started showing in South Africa. And you enter and it's a paper entry. Nobody can actually... And PG, you would know this with Lynn Spillman, who is the US Survivor casting director, or used to be. You can't connect with somebody just on a paper edit or on a paper entry form. You have to be in the room with them. And so I didn't get in the first season. Season two came around and I kind of went, okay, I have to make an impression here with the casting producers. I went for a photo shoot did a full cardboard cutout of myself in the outfit that I would get marooned on the island. And I had this cardboard cutout made. I did a small video, a three-minute video on the dot, introducing myself to the casting people. And together with the paper entry that was the same entry form from the previous year, I added all of those. I made a DVD of that video and I popped it into a bag a little denim sling bag that I threw over the shoulder of the cardboard cutout. And I actually drove to Mnet in Johannesburg and I dropped off this life-size cardboard cutout. My husband, who is the other executive producer on Survivor South Africa, Henri Basson, he was working at Mnet at the time as a publicist. Oh, you made an impression on somebody. <laughs> no, no, no. We were together like five years already by that time. Oh, you had an inside man. <laughs> <laughs> I had an inside man, but I think the inside man was also the reason I didn't get on because when it finally got to that final stage of casting, the head exec at Mnet at the time saw my face on the casting board and they had the cardboard cut up. I only heard the story years afterwards. And when they had this cardboard cut out with my photo in the room with the casting, Carl Fisher, who was the head of Mnet at the time says, no, you can't cast this guy because it's a conflict of interest because his partner <sighs> works for publicity. I didn't get in, which is the weirdest story, but it opened my eyes about how casting works and how you need to be seen when you walk into that room or if you have that opportunity to make an impression, that is what you need to do. So obviously, Hundry as the publicist, he was working with a lady called Lani Lombard, and Lani was the head of publicity for Mnet. And she's been working on Survivor South Africa for all nine seasons. So she's one of two people, Lani and Craig Blexley, who is our lead editor, are the only two people who's worked on all nine seasons of Survivor. So Lani and Hundry worked together, and I went to her, and podcasting was just starting out. There were no RHAP. It was like a very small thing and a niche market. And I went to Lani and I said to her, could I come to a Friday afternoon viewing? They had viewings at Mnet of the next week's episode. And then they had the voted out contestant there to answer some questions. Everything's done on Zoom nowadays, but that's how they did it in that time. And I said to her, I would like to start a podcast about 
discussing the episode of Survivor that went out that week. And would you be open to that? And Wonder Above Wonder, our housemate at the time, and I did a weekly roundup with an exit interview of Survivor South Africa season two. And it was fantastic. Went to the finale for that. And then the next season, I was working in television at the time. I was a director at a soap opera and I reached out to the then director of the show. And I said to him, I would love to work on the show as a content producer. And he then had a little interview with me. Apparently I was choice number three of five people (laughs) (laughs) to get the job. And, uh, but I got the job. It's all these little (laughs) things that you find out afterwards that kind of make your journey quite beautiful. And so I was on the island as a content producer for Survivor South Africa season three. And that's how I got into getting behind the scenes of Survivor. When you say content producing for season three, you're shooting interviews with people? So a content producer also known as a segment producer for those players like PG who has played in the US are basically on the island with the contestants. They follow the story, they follow the action, and then they go to confessionals with the castaways. Those pretty sit down interviews that you see and kind of lead them with the story and try and get the greatest sound bites out of them to tell the story that has happened on the beach. So that's what I mean when I say content producer. And some of these American producers, let me tell you, really are like creating content. (laughs) That's what they call producer interference. (laughs) I mean, they ask a lot of leading questions or they try to get you thinking towards a certain path. And some of it is a little sketch, you know, like, do you really feel like you trust this person? How much do you really trust this person? He just went off alone with so-and-so. What do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) We try and not interfere and our mandate to our content producers are a little bit more clear cut, no leading questions, but um, it's a very interesting job specifically on a season of Survivor to be in that position of content producing. It's so true what you said earlier about having to see the contestants in person too, to really know. I've probably told this before, maybe in a bonus story, but when I auditioned for my first season of Survivor, I was in the finals casting call and I have never been in a room with so many beautiful, attractive, charismatic people before. And I grew up in LA. Every single person (laughs) here was just absolutely gorgeous and bursting with personality. And While we're in this process, it's a three-day thing. You're at the hotel all weekend and you see these people around at various lunches, dinners, and testing and so forth and so on. But one of the questions they ask us is, can you just describe five people that especially stood out to you? And out of the five people I picked, three of them went on to be on the season of Survivor out of 200. And so that just kind of goes to show like some of these people have a certain, I don't know, like a star power or a charisma that just really pop when you see them in person. And I never talked to anybody. This was just from observing them and looking at them. Do you remember who you picked? Yeah, I picked James the Gravedigger, of course. Like he... Dude stands out. He really stood out. Yeah. Um, He's 6'4". I don't think he's that tall. He's just huge still. And I picked 
Eric Huffman, who -hmm. was the beautiful curly haired country guitar player. And I picked Ashley Massaro, rest in peace. She was a wrestler that was also very distinctive. She was really also like very muscular for women and tattoos and piercings and kind of this punk rock vibe. But then like three other people told me that they picked me also. We were all comparing who we picked and who we saw. And it's a funny thing how these synergies work out, I guess. So after going through the casting process yourself and also being in production, what is it you think that makes somebody a great contestant? It's so funny that you mentioned this. I popped onto On Fire with Jeff Probst, Jeff's new podcast that he has out, and they were talking about casting today. I was just listening to that also. I don't think Jeff even knows of the existence of Survivor South Africa. So (laughs) (laughs) I like some of the crew who has worked on the US version and the South African version actually got a cap signed with Jeff signing a cap to me saying, thanks for lending your crew to us, which was very sweet. But they were talking about casting specifically. And the one thing that stood out from that for me is authenticity, that you have to be unapologetically yourself. That is something that for me rang quite true, specifically with casting for Survivor South Africa. We have so many people who want to be on the show and then they get onto the show and they flake out because they're trying to be somebody that they are not. And that is something that really popped out for me in that chat. The other thing that I think is that you have to be some sort of fan. You have to have watched the show before to know how the format works Long gone are the days where you recruit somebody and you put somebody on an island that has no idea how survival work or what merge is or what a hidden immunity idol is. I mean, it's so complex now. It's so complicated with all of the rules that you have to have some basic understanding already. You can't just throw a newbie into like Magic the Gathering tournament and You can't expect them to perform well if they don't know anything nowadays. The other thing I did notice is also like being able to provide a good sound bite. I know people in casting, they were like, this guy, he's just so interesting. He's fascinating. But this man cannot summarize a story in less than 10 minutes. He needs 20 minutes to tell an interesting story. And they're interesting. But nobody got that kind of time on television. I'll give a bit of advice to anyone listening about storytelling. If you're telling a story and the people you're telling it to have said the words, that's crazy, more than five times over the course of you telling that story, (laughs) your story is too damn long. (laughs) That's a good barometer. Keep track of how many that's crazies are coming at you while you're telling the story. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) And the authenticity thing I get too, because I've had a lot of fans come up to me and I've even had some people show me their videos and please don't all show me your videos. I can't watch them all, but I have seen some. And it's this guy that, first of all, he's so nervous talking to me that he is literally like drenched in sweat just to talk with me. And I'm like, I don't know how you're going to really do out there, buddy. If you're this nervous talking to me, everyone out there is super alpha and you got to be able to stand your ground. I'm like a chihuahua. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll go play in the big dog's yard. Uh, (laughs) And then their video is like them in the woods. And I'm like, have you ever spent this much time in the woods in your life? If not, maybe don't lead with that in your video. I feel like the producers don't really care that you're an outdoorsman or not. They just want to know who you are as a person. And 
everybody will adapt. People adapt to being outdoors in all kinds of different ways. Unless you were like some kind of army ranger or survivalist and this is your life. Don't do the whole outdoors hiding in a bush thing. I don't know. I feel like nobody cares about that anymore. Absolutely. And uh, therein lies the rub is the fact that if you are authentic with who you are, um, take someone like Suri, who to this day has that moniker of the mom who got off the couch and played Survivor. And that is what she sold from day one. She was afraid of leaves. Absolutely. Unlike the first episode, she became famous because she was collecting leaves to like stuff a shirt to make a pillow. And she was terrified of reaching into like these piles of leaves. And it became a joke. People were making fun of her. And then, of course, eventually she showed everybody throughout her long and illustrious career in Survivor. But that was part of what made her interesting. Exactly. And that authenticity, I think, is so important when you go into a casting like that. If you want to be on a show like Survivor, then that is 100% the thing that you need to be is authentically yourself. And if that is being a nerd or somebody who do underwater aerobics or something bizarre like that, it's 100% fine. They just want you to be authentic and be able to articulate the fact that you are authentic. We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing your escape rooms and other immersive social outings. And Morty is now available for all to use on its brand new web experience, in addition to its fantastic iPhone app. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. If you're like me, you have a lot of friends that have already played quite a few escape rooms in your local area. So trying to plan a day of escape rooms is nearly impossible. Have you played this one? How about this room? Oh, I've already played it. It was so tedious before trying to plan with friends. And that's why Morty has a feature called plan with friends. And what it does is you can add your friends on Morty. And if they have already tracked all of their played games, what you do is you pick all of your friends that you want to play escape rooms with on that day. And it will filter and only show you games that none of you have ever played. This is an essential tool for planning a fun day of escape rooms. You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details are in the show notes. I want to explore a little bit of the game design and the mechanisms behind Survivor South Africa. I've heard from a few sources, one of them I think is you, that Australian Survivor runs on roughly a quarter of the budget of US Survivor and Survivor SA runs on an eighth of the budget of US Survivor. While there are times that you can see that less money went into a challenge build or maybe you have a few less camera angles, generally speaking, it does not feel like you're running at a fraction of the budget. How does your team achieve this? 
I think the big thing is that South Africans are very hardworking, specifically in the television industry. For instance, I'm going back to this podcast with Jeff that I'm listening to. I'm terribly sorry if I bore everybody with that, but they talk behind the scenes stuff and just the amount of producers that they have on the US version of the show that we have one producer for. So instead of having a supervising producer for post, a supervising producer for casting, a supervising producer, we have one person doing that job. And you're making more episodes. And we're making more episodes. Specifically with South Africans doing multiple jobs. For instance, the content rollout for the season is something that there's a person in the US that does that. And they then go and they take it to the producers. And I do that in Survivor South Africa. From season six onwards, I've come up with what is the next step in the game? What is the next step? What are we going to do next in terms of challenges? And what are the twists that we are going to do and bring in? In designing a season of Survivor, that is 100% up to me. And then I have two consultants in Mike Bloom and Shannon Gus, who I consult with and run the content rollout with, and they give insights in terms of not specifically challenges, but twists and idols and changes that we want to bring in terms of the gameplay. And I don't pay them just so that everybody's, (laughs) they do it out of the goodness of their hearts. If listeners don't know, Mike Bloom and Shannon Gus are survivor podcasters from the Rob Has a Podcast Network. We got really close after they uh, reached out after season six that they started covering. And um, then I ran a few things past them for season seven. But on season eight and season nine, they were production consultants with an end credit um, on the show. Getting back to your question, David, I think specifically with South African crew who do a lot. Our department is about 40 people in the U.S., Our entire crew for Survivor South Africa ranges between 120 and 150 people, depending on where we shoot. Yeah, so it's a much smaller kind of footprint in terms of people working on the show. It seems to mirror an observation that I have had about the escape room world, which is when I have visited countries that are less affluent, the budgets in the games go down a lot but they do not feel like the quality has dropped proportionately with the drop in budget. It feels to me like people who have less resources on hand get scrappier and smarter about the resources that they're using, which is also sort of a mantra that we have had in our operations. We try to be as scrappy as we can while still producing something really professional. One of the big things that you have to understand about the South African television landscape is the fact that any international format that is brought to South Africa by a broadcaster will forever and ever be benchmarked against their US or British counterparts or Australian counterparts. And that is a very difficult thing to overcome because if you are placed on the same level as a US show, You have to make sure that the quality that you give is on par, if not better, than your counterpart in the other state. So it's incredibly difficult. Just to give you an idea, with the RAND, which is our currency in South Africa, 
It's great for US citizens to come and visit South Africa because you are going to get some bang for your buck. For every US dollar, you get 19 South African Rand. And with 19 South African Rand, you can buy a beer. So you're going to pay a buck for a beer in South Africa. So it's that comparison. And if you then think about what the budgets are, US, Australia, South Africa, and how that kind of play out, and you mentioned the different stages of the budget, there is a big difference. So when our production company, Afrikaans, took over as the producers of Survivor South Africa in season six, my mandate towards the production company was we have to make it as good, if not better, than US or Australia. I do believe you have succeeded in that. I hope so. I honestly hope so. Just our global recognition in terms of on which platforms we are now have been broadcast. We've been broadcast on Amazon Prime UK. We are on Tenplay in Australia. We were on Paramount Plus for a little while. We were on Mars for a little while in the US. Just that global recognition, I think, has put us forward in terms of playing on par with our siblings. So you said that you wanted to make it better than American Survivor. And you feel like you knew you didn't have the same production budget, but in what ways did you try to make it better then? Like where else can you play with the different story points or? I think storytelling is a big thing in terms of how we, and this was before the new era of Survivor. I think in terms of our storytelling ability, we do not try and create a false story for the audience to be surprised at the end of tribal council for the vote. We will say to you, Tanya is going home. <laughs> she is going home tonight. And that is the story that you follow. And we really try with that. So on that point, this is something that I truly appreciate about what you have done is you've traded out all of the shock value of tribal council. And what we as viewers have gotten in return is a very different approach to editing and storytelling, where we really understand the motivations that pretty much every player has at any point in the game. And that feels very different from US and Australian Survivor. And I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Um, that is definitely one of the things that we do try and not to deceive the audience in any way. The other thing that we wanted to do is try and keep the game as clean as possible in terms of trinkets. We have new twists and turns and stuff that come through. But what we want to do is give the players who are basically in this immersive game a framework to play within, give them an immersive experience and give them something to come out of to the end of the game. But whatever they do in this framework is up to them. If they want to make a fake idol, let them make a fake idol. Don't give them one. I <laughs> so agree with you. <laughs> give them the framework that they need to play in. And that is the other thing that I think we did really well in terms of less budget, but try and make the game as good, if not better. You've touched on a lot of things that we want to go and discuss. The first one you were talking about, you being the person doing almost all of the challenge design and challenge selection. My wife, Lisa, who manages logistics for pretty much everything she touches, has been wondering, 
what are the key factors that you take into account when deciding challenge order for a given season or even which challenges to include? Oh, that's a very good question. I actually went on to open chat GPT the other day and said, what is the perfect flow for a survivor season? And it, it didn't help. It didn't help. So it is something that you work on and work on. And although we haven't been commissioned for season 10 of Survivor South Africa, I have a full content rollout of what the season looks like, but I'm only on version five. And I usually end on version 27 when we start shooting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's kind of the process. And I start working on a new season the day of merge of the season that we are busy with. So my version one for season 10 started on the day of merge last year when we were shooting season nine. It's so difficult. And you have to put yourselves in the shoes of a person playing and go, okay, so this is a very physical challenge with what kind of puzzle at the end. And I've seen the Twitter feeds on how people are practicing puzzles and all that type of stuff. And trust you, me, I'm determined not to have a practice puzzle on the next season, but it's that. So you place yourself in the player's kind of shoes and say, what's going to happen next? All right, this is going to be an endurance challenge. All right, what's going to make this endurance challenge different? Okay, they're going to do it in pairs. Okay, so there's a pair endurance challenge. Okay, cool. Then we have a reward challenge. What's going to make this reward challenge different? And as you build the season, it's very much like an escape room. It's that step by step by step. You can technically skip a step if you sit out of a challenge, but you can't skip a step to move to the next part of the flow of the entire season. So it's a gut thing. Do you have a formula like, okay, we're going to have three very pure physical strength challenges in the beginning. And then in the middle, we're going to throw in two agility plus five puzzles. And then we, we need to have at least three endurance. Is there that kind of formula? Not at all. Not at all. And for me, that's the beauty of kind of creating a game like Survivor and building that universe. And what is the next challenge? And what is the challenge outcome? And what is the reward? Oh, I cannot tell you how many times I have had comments on Reddit and Twitter just about rewards and about how much food South Africans get in Survivor South Africa with rewards, which is utter nonsense and total BS. People complain about anything. They, they will <laughs> complain about anything. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope that answers the question. It really does. Rizova is your all-in-one, all-inclusive software for bookings made specifically with escape rooms in mind. Incorporating community-driven features, it's designed to follow the guest journey. From selecting times to book, waiver management, integrated point-of-sale system, and follow-up emails. Rizova is the ultimate online reservation software designed to elevate the guest experience, increase game master efficiency, drive sales, and improve operations. PG, what is fantastic about Rizova is that they offer something for the owners, something for the guests, and something for the GMs. What does Rizova offer the guests? As an escape room enthusiast, as a guest, what I care about in my guest experience 
is increased convenience. And Rosova can do that for you. First of all, they have full integration with Morty. That means that escape rooms can offer their booking times on Morty, and that's how I tend to use it the most. I want as few clicks as possible to get from me finding your escape room to me playing your escape room. And less clicks means it's easier to book. That means more revenue for you. I also like that it automates emails, reminding me of my bookings. It sends follow-up emails asking how it did if I want to leave a review. It's just really useful and convenient for me as a guest. And that's what you want if you want guests to come back and play all of your other rooms. To learn more, get a free demo and find out how easy Rizova can make your transition to their technology. Head over to rizova.com slash R-E-A and be sure to use our link or drop our name because as a thank you to Repod listeners, Rizova is offering up to $100 in Google AdWords when you sign up through our link. Details in the show notes. I'm curious, you've mentioned that you start planning the next season at Merge. Why is Merge a good point for you to reflect on what you're going to do next? I started with this in season six in Philippines. We came back from the Merge feast and I kind of went, what do I need to do now? What can I do now to put season seven out in the universe? And that's why I do it, is it's putting something on paper and saying, this is going to happen. Not if, <laughs> when. Um, so Merge feels the right point to go, we want another season. What am I going to do to make that season happen? And I start the development at Merge for the next season. Oh, okay. Not logistical or anything. I get that. We honestly don't know when we are going to get a recommission and get another season. For me, it is a faith thing because it's not like the US that they know they're going to get season 46 and 47, uh, 45 and 46 has been cast and they are going out in April and they're casting for season 47 already. That doesn't happen in South Africa. And I suppose that's one reason why the season six finale was such a big thing for me because we had a big finale event and we announced season seven at the finale. It felt big. It was a quick turnaround in terms of casting and shooting the show. And then it was back on air. And the investment that we built up with season six showed in season seven in terms of ratings, which was amazing. The ratings went up. And then we didn't announce season eight at the end of season seven. We went through a pandemic. And then got season eight. And then we were supposed to shoot before the pandemic. And then anyway, that's another story. <laughs> and unfortunately, that is the movement of you have to keep your audience engaged. And that's why the US shoots two seasons back to back, because it's constant engagement on the survivor front. And if there's no US survivor, then there's usually a survivor South Africa or Australian survivor. And it's that constant kind of jump to the next one, which is what you want. So for us, we have to trust the universe a little bit more <laughs> to get us that next one. That's rough. You mentioned earlier that when you're coming up with these challenges, you're thinking, what can we do that's new? Sometimes when you have a classic survivor challenge, 
do you ever put it out as is the exact same challenge as they've had on Survivor before versus putting your own twist on the game? Or when do you decide to just throw it all out and create something entirely brand new? Look, I try at least two or three challenges in a season. And that is purely from a fan perspective, kind of paying homage to either classic Australian Survivor or classic US Survivor and making that challenge exactly the same way. We had a challenge that was in Kagiyan, which we had in season six of Survivor South Africa. Which challenge is that? It's the one where they had to build the blocks. They have to first hit the blocks off with sandbags from a big kind of frame. And then they have to build the blocks up with like little blocks in between. To build a tower out of them? Build a tower out of it, yeah. And we used the exact same challenge, basically, as paying homage. But specifically for my development, uh, I'm always open to fans or people who are interested in game design and so forth to get in touch with me. And, And I've, over the years, have had people you know, send me ideas for challenges and then you use it and or tweak it and so forth. So yeah, there's a little bit of homage, but we're going to try and be a little bit more um, creative <laughs> for future seasons. But for instance, in season nine, we had the big mud ball challenge, which it was in your season, Survivor China, right? Yeah, but I sat out of that one. Thank God. I know. That, I know. <laughs> that, <laughs> the thought of getting in a mud pit with these seven foot men, because these were co-ed, in the rain, in the mud, rolling these giant balls. No, thank you. I'm so grateful I sat out of that one. But that was a, a complete homage to Survivor China. Listen, the field was a little bit bigger and the mud was a little bit worse. But that challenge in season nine was 100% to homage. And I now know why that challenge never came back after that season. Why? Wow. Okay, let me let me paint a picture first. <laughs> so the way this challenge worked was basically you had... I think it was three on three from each team. And there are two gigantic balls that are probably four or five feet across in diameter. And there's goalposts at the end. And you just had to drag the ball over to your goal. Any ball into your goal. It was kind of a free-for-all mud wrestling. And people were like getting their faces just buried in the mud, stepped on, thrown around. It was wild. The balls are very large and they're made out of wood. If you look at them from the side, they look like a giant asterisk. Yeah. And so it's very easy for a couple of big players or just equally sized players to just stalemate and the game just grinds to a halt. I understand the struggle there. They recently had the same challenge in Australian Survivor. But they tweaked it a little bit in terms of the field wasn't as big and it was played in sand and seawater. So there was a little bit more water and they, it didn't pack up with the mud, which happened in Survivor South Africa season nine. And it also happened in Survivor China. So that is one of the big things that kind of, I now realized why that challenge didn't work. I'm glad we did it because it made for excellent television moments and some really interesting gameplay afterwards. But yeah, we won't see that one again in Survivor South Africa, at least. The type of mud that we had out there was really sticky and it sucked at your feet. Like your foot would sink in to me, I would sink into the calf and it was very difficult to walk in it. And so everyone's going in slow motion. And I feel like it's not that exciting because everyone's 
they're like practically trying to swim through this thick mud. It's not fun. <laughs> and it wasn't fun on the day as well for the contestants on season nine. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> on the subject of season nine, Return of the Outcasts, which really is one of my all-time favorite Survivor seasons at this point. It felt like you took some aesthetic chances by infusing the Survivor aesthetic with a bit of sci-fi. The tribe names were Yontau, Masu, and Salon, which were derived from the Vulcan words for fire, water, and wind. And the voting urn, torches, immunity idols, and snuffer all had a metal alien look. What was the backstory on these aesthetic flares and decisions? Look, we shot season eight for the first time just after the pandemic in South Africa for the first time, which we've never ever had the permission to do by the format holders. You always had to go to a foreign country and have beaches. That's what they prefer. Finally, because of COVID, we had permission to shoot it in South Africa and we didn't want to go to a specific tribe in South Africa. So we went very mm -hmm. general with the art direction and the production design on Immunity Island. And then when we had the opportunity to shoot again in South Africa, I kind of went, oh, what are we going to do now? So I'm a big geek. So I'm usually the one who chooses the tribe names. I'm the one who designs the buffs as well. I do a lot of the production design with an excellent team of a great art director and, and producer. So there is a lot of that freedom that I have. And so I made the call. So the voting urn is actually based on a gold ship from Stargate SG-1. So it's mm -hmm. based on that design. There's a Magic the Gathering reference with the holder of the immunity necklace, the individual immunity necklace, that, like a pronged fork. Oh, I did not pick up on that. I'm revoking your nerd card. <laughs> oh, wow. And all the other kind of little trinkets. We had a Klingon Batleth in the first challenge above the goalpost where they had to retrieve the ring from. So all of these little geek moments that was in there. And it was just so much fun to play around with. And the art director on the show, him and his girlfriend basically run the art department. And I said to them, okay, guys, we are going to geek out this season. All of the tribal council set had elements of fire, earth, water, air built in the tribal council huts where the camera huts resembled the sand people in Star Wars' huts. We had the torches, we were the square torches. That was the fifth element, the five elements, those little things. So there were a lot of little Easter eggs. If you really go and watch the season again, just to play around with and we were just having fun because we kind of realized that we've done a South African version and now we had to do something different and a little bit more playful, yet still in the realm of Survivor. I truly loved the look of it. Thank you. It struck an interesting balance of feeling fresh and fun while also not feeling out of place, which is a hard thing to do. I'm very happy to hear that. I'm very happy to hear that. I mean, just one person's opinion, but I, I loved it. Did you recognize any of the Easter eggs he just mentioned, David, or did you have to look the stuff up? I'd recognize some of them, and I was certainly very aware that there were differences. And then some people started pointing them out to me, 
but I totally missed the Magic the Gathering one. That just fills me with joy. <laughs> as far as I know, I don't have a way to pay to watch Survivor SA in the United States right now. Yet. Yet. And that, this is really my question is, I want to support the production, and I know there are a lot of Survivor fans that feel this way. What is it going to take to get the international seasons on Paramount Plus more permanently or some other legitimate path to watching them? I mentioned earlier that it's not if we are ever going to be on screen again, it's when we are going to be on screen again. And I do think that when Survivor South Africa will be on screen again, the new version will be available for other territories to view on streaming platforms or on syndication. The reason why I'm saying this is because the wheels are turning and there's some changes happening and it'll be soon. Great. From my perspective, as someone who really loves the work that you and your crew are doing, I want to be able to support it. I want to watch it. And I do believe that increasing the awareness of it through any means is probably helping you. But it sounds to me like if I were to pay 10, 15, 20, 30 dollars for a season, and a whole bunch of other people would do that. For your production specifically, that would go a very long way. And I really want to see that happen because I think you're making a phenomenal show. Thank you for that. The fact that you would like to pay to watch the show is fantastic. And it would mean that we would be able to do more of it. But as the production, we will only get the budget that we are allocated. Yeah. The corporates and so forth will receive that money and that will be, give us the opportunity to do another season and another season. If they're seeing return on investment, then it makes it easier for them to commit long term. I understand that's not like there's a Patreon that I can like pay into <laughs> and help your production company specifically. I mean, Survivor has survived for 44 seasons. That's over 20 years because of the super dedicated fan base. I don't know how many other shows, game shows or reality shows have been this long running. Yeah, but it feels to me like, and I'm not a lawyer, and I know that there's laws for and contracts for multiple countries at play, and I know how complicated that stuff gets. But it seems to me like there is money to be made and a net gain for everyone involved, including the fans, to just figure out a solution. I want that solution to exist. I 100% support your point of view. I do think that the wheels are turning, and I feel positive about what is coming. And I want to put that positivity out. I'm very excited by your positivity. <laughs> Where can people find you on social media? I'm at Lerubota, L-E-R-O-U-X-B-O-T-H-A on Instagram and Twitter. Earlier, you issued an open invitation for people to submit suggestions for challenges and any pitches for challenges, things like that. And I know we have a lot of Survivor fans who are also game designers, creators, etc., who probably do have some ideas they would love to see come to fruition on Survivor. So if any of them were interested in pitching you, what's the best way to reach you? That would probably be on Instagram or Twitter. Just send me a DM. They are open. So if you want to then send that through, I've done it since season eight. 
for anybody whose idea that I do use, you will get an end credit on the episodes. I can't pay you, as you <laughs> now have heard, but I'm very happy to give you an end credit if we do use your idea or your challenge in our show. Okay, there you go. We'll have a link to that in the show notes if anybody's interested in taking him up on that. LaRue, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a treat. I truly appreciate the work that you and your crew have been doing. I can't wait for the next one whenever it is. Hashtag we not if. (laughs) (laughs) The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira. Music by Ryan Elder of ryaneldermusic.com. Edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media and brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Our Patreon is the backbone. It is the foundation. It is the thing that allows us to put in all of the time, care, and money that we invest into creating podcasts like this and all of the daily content that Room Escape Artist creates. David and I have put a lot of work and thought into creating really awesome content for our Patreon supporters. Backing us at the $5 level gets you access to the RIA Discord. We have really fun conversations, discussions about escape rooms, immersive experiences, and more. And it also gets you access to our bonus show. This is a companion show to our main episode, and it's usually a more casual chat with our guests and each other. These episodes are pretty long. They're another 40 to 60 minutes. So if you can't get enough of our content, you can get more of it here. And we also tend to get a little bit looser here as well. If you have been enjoying this podcast, we would really appreciate a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It doesn't cost you anything, but it really helps us spread the word about Reality Escape Pod. Thank you to our highest level Patreon backers. Breakout Games, Derek Tam, Olivier Escape, Escapism, Escaparium, Panic Room, Byron Delmonico, Josh Rosenfeld, Paula Swan, Rex Miller, Scott Olson, and the Ministry of Peculiarities. Thank you all so much for your ongoing support. So my first escape room experience happened last year in December when I took our entire production company, Afrikaans, took all our staff to Dino's escape room, Hintant, in Cape Town. And we were paired up into these little groups. I ended up with our office manager and a production assistant, and we failed miserably. It was a <laughs> it was a wonderful experience. We had a submarine escape room that we had to do. And when the time was finally up, all three of us came out of that submarine and we were sopping wet. And it wasn't that the aircon went off. It was just we were exhausted. Um, because <laughs> when we spoke to the chap who ran the escape room, he said to us, do you realize that you've only finished a quarter of, of, of the entire escape room? And I said to him, sir, it doesn't surprise me. Because that is how we roll. 